Welcome to the podcast of the Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jim Cole, and I'm proud to be the 96th president of Las Vegas Rotary. Las Vegas Rotary's main focus is on youth, specifically youth literacy and life skill development. If you're in town, we invite you to join us at the Lowry's Prime Rib at noon on Thursdays. You can also find more information about our meetings on lasvegasrotary.com. If you're unable to join us, we live stream our meetings on Facebook at noon Pacific time Thursdays. We hope you enjoy this podcast. So I also want to thank you for inviting me to the head table today, set between two beautiful ladies, both named Jennifer. The other Jennifer has visited our club before, and I want to thank her for that. She came as a couple years ago as Marilyn Monroe. I think we, most of us remember that. <laughs> so thank you for that. So recently I had the pleasure to meet Jennifer Taylor at the Henderson Chamber of Commerce. She spoke to a small group of Henderson Leadership grads about question three that will be on our November ballot. I'm sure that you all are aware of this and have been subjected to the rigorous ads on TV. The Henderson Chamber is a nonpartisan um, group and welcomed Jennifer to provide a neutral presentation on question three, as our club does today. Hope that you have taken a moment and read her bio in the wheel. She has an impressive history, working for the benefit of our great state. She is an attorney with over 20 years legal experience. Is currently admitted to practice before the United States Supreme Court, as well as courts in Nevada, Washington, California, and Texas. Most recently, Governor Sandoval appointed Ms. Taylor to his Committee on Energy Choice and as chair of that committee's working group on innovation and technology in re renewable energy development. Please join me in welcoming Jennifer Taylor. Um, let me get this back. So thank you so much to Randy uh, for inviting me to come to speak with you all. And um, thank you so much to the Las Vegas Rotary Club for allowing me to be your speaker for the, for the afternoon. Um, Randy asked me to do the exact same presentation I did at Henderson. So for the next two hours, I'm going to walk you through. Just kidding. Um, I... <laughs> I actually, I understand that we have a time limit. I am happy to stay afterwards and answer questions. Um, but, you know, just be prepared. I am uh, Italian. I'm originally from Chicago. I talk very fast when I need to. So, um, as Randy mentioned, I was on the Governor's Committee for Energy Choice. Um, we did an analysis of what we would need to do uh, should Question 3 pass again in November. And I also chaired the Governor's, the, the technical working group on innovation and technology and renewable energy development, which we know is a really important piece of our state uh, economy and of uh, Governor Sandoval's vision for the uh, continued development and economic diversification of our state. So uh, my goal today is really to provide you with some information and highlight some of the issues that, that you should be looking at when you make a decision about how to vote on question three in November. Um, Really quickly, what does energy look like today? Uh, it's, you can see this picture up here. Hey, Kirk, is there a pointer? Oh, okay, bummer. Um, yeah, so <laughs> there's four pieces to energy. Um, there is generation, transmission, distribution, and retailing. Uh, those are the pieces of electricity delivery to the end user that are bundled together 
with the delivery functions that are coordinated by our vertically integrated utility, which is NV Energy. Um, and so I guess I just really quickly would be curious, who feels like they know a lot about energy and how energy works in Nevada? Oh, yes, okay. Yeah, Solup, and what do you do? Okay, got it, okay. <clears throat> All right, so say nice things about Switch, I got it, okay. Um, so, who feels like they know a lot about the question? Okay. All right, same couple people. So, um, all right. So right now, under um, under our laws, the utility Envy Energy has the exclusive right to all levels of this supply chain and the exclusive rights to sell electricity in a designated service area, um, just like then in other outlying areas, our munis, our co-ops, Valley Electric, Boulder City uh, Municipal Electricity, they have the exclusive rights in the rest of the state. Um, so I'm gonna. So we see up here, this is just a basic um, summary of what question three would do. And then this is the actual language of the amendment. Now remember, this is a constitutional amendment. So this is not um, something that would just be done through the legislature. This is something that would get put into the Constitution, giving every Nevadan the right to have meaningful choice among different providers um, and be able to disperse and sell their own energy um, and be able to retail their own energy, well, um, and be able to pick from a competitive retail market. Um, one of the important pieces of it is the time frame because it's a five-year time frame should it pass again in 2018. For background, this was on the ballot in 16. It passed by 72%. Um, but because it's a constitutional amendment, it has to go through the balloting process again. So that's why it's on your uh, ballot for 2018. Um, and what it requires is that no later than 2023, which would give us five years and three legislative sessions, we would need to have um, the structure for a new market in place. And let me actually go back to this picture. The only piece that this question asks or says will be restructured, deregulated, unbundled is the actual generation, so that top piece and, that, and the retailing. So you will not take your generation and your end-use delivery from NV Energy. You will be able to choose who you want to get it from. So I just wanted to make sure we knew that you all knew what exactly it would be unbundling and taking apart. Um, and then the other piece of it that's really important um, is that the, the framers of this question drafted it to say that nothing herein would abrogate our existing environmental policies, energy, environmental, renewable energy policies for the state. Um, there's a question as to whether or not that actually has um, weight or whether or not that could be challenged, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so should this pass, that monopoly structure we saw at the, front, at the first slide would be undone, um, and we'd be looking at um, a paradigm where the regulatory compact that exists with NV Energy, which is a regulated monopoly paradigm, it puts third-party intervention through the PUC, that's the Public Utility Commission, um, into how we get our energy and how we pay for our energy and how NV Energy is allowed to develop its energy. So the PUCN serves actually to arbitrate between the company and its customers, including the very important role of regulatory oversight to protect us as consumers and to, and to regulate rate making. So they make the decisions as to how much we pay for our energy. So when you, if you see a commercial, you hear someone say, NV Energy decides how much you pay. 
that is actually not accurate. The PUCN decides how much we pay. And the energy can ask for what they want for how much we pay, but the PUCN ultimately is the one that uh, tells uh, NV Energy what it can charge. Um, so what would happen instead is that there would be new market entrants. There would be retail suppliers that would come in. They would sell energy to us on, on the free market. Um, the PUCN would not do that regulatory oversight. They wouldn't be able to govern rate making. They would still do consumer protections. They would still make sure that we as Nevada rate payers were not subject to deceptive trade practices. They would make sure that, that the folks that come in here to sell energy to us were uh, behaving as responsible corporations and protecting us as, as consumers. Um, let's see. All right. Um, so when you, look at, um, when you look at things that you should consider about the, the question, um, these are all things that we looked at at the Governor's Committee on Energy Choice. The, there have been several studies on this. The Public Utility Commission did a large, extensive docket um, on the issues uh, surrounding the Energy Choice Initiative, what it would potentially cost the state, what laws would need to be changed, what impacts it could have on consumers. Uh, there's also a study out there from the Gwynn Center on Policy Priorities that did a lot of analysis on um, rate structure, rate behavior, and uh, what it would do with renewable energy resources. So these are some of the things I'm gonna kind of run through for you to think about and for you to understand what the potential impacts are on both sides of the questions. Um, so the idea of restructuring that vertically integrated monopoly structure, that's been around since the 90s. In fact, Nevada actually started to deregulate for folks who've been around um, they started to restructure their market in the late 1990s uh, with a view to many things, including what was called the Western Energy Crisis. Um, but once they took a look at it, they, they stopped the movement towards restructuring under Governor Gwynn. Um, so Nevada would be now uh, the first state in about 20 years to restructure and to open up that retail energy market. It would also be the first um, state to do it via constitutional amendment. And it would also be the first state to do it, uh, to establish a competitive retail market with more than 25,000 rooftop systems in place. And that is something that, that everybody needs to keep in mind too, is what the potential impact is um, to our renewable energy market, to future rooftop solar customers and to um, existing rooftop solar customers. Um, one of the things that the question three proponents say is that um, legislation and regulation does not move nearly as fast as innovation and technology. I don't think there's any question about that. But I would note um, one of my clients is, the, uh, is Alberta, Canada. Um, they actually have had an open market since the 90s and it was only under a new government mandate that they have started looking to shifting to innovation and technology and opening up um, more renewable resources into their province. They also come with a heavy load of, of fossil fuels that are available to them as a resource, but um, just as a counter uh, discussion to the idea that we need to have an open market to have innovation, I just point out Alberta as an example um, for the alternative. Okay, um, I talked to you guys about this a little bit. I wanna leave this up if anybody wants to take a snapshot of it so that you can take a look at all these resources if you'd like. Um, so at the end of the day, we want to make sure that if um, whether 
question three passes or not, we want to make sure that what we're looking at is an energy market, an energy policy that meets the needs of Nevada, meets Nevada's needs for energy and for economic growth, that protects our ratepayers, especially our most vulnerable citizens, provides reliability to ensure our air conditioning goes on, our computers get charged, our refrigerators stay cool, and that uh, it stays on all through July and August and provides a nimble framework that lets legislation and regulation kept, keep up with our technology and innovation. So, um, let's see, where am I? Oh, okay, we'll just quickly run through some um, information on restructured markets in the rest of the country. There are 14 uh, restructured retail markets. So there's different pieces of energy markets. There's the retail, there's the commercial like switch. Um, they are considered commercial and industrial. Um, the rest of us, either small businesses or homeowners, are considered retail. Um, it's been nearly two decades, we talked about that, since um, we've seen a state look to open up its retail market. Um, and honestly, truly guys, normally I do this in an hour, so I wasn't joking about the two, but I am trying to really be quick. Um, these are all really important um, studies. You can look at, s at the executive summaries, you can look at the main findings and kind of get some of the highlights. Um, so after it passed in 2016, the governor put together his Committee on Energy Choice. There were five areas that they wanted to study. Uh, one was consumer protections, very important. Uh, what the market would look like, uh, how we would get our energy into our market. Uh, my working group on uh, innovation and technology and renewable energy development. And then um, a really key piece of this, which is um, divesting of uh, NV Energy's existing generation. So what what this question would do, potentially, and there is some debate about whether or not NV Energy would have to divest of its current generation. They own power plants. They own, they are the um, off-taker on what are called power purchase agreements. They have about, I think they estimated at about eight to $10 billion in assets that NV Energy says they would then have to get rid of should this pass because they will no longer be in the generation market. Um, this will be, if the question passes, this will be, I think, one of the biggest battles that you will see after passage um, because the proponents believe that a couple of different things. One, the initiative does not necessarily mandate NV Energy get rid of its generation. It's just that they cannot be the exclusive franchiser of energy in a service territory. Um, but NV Energy has also said very publicly, if you don't want us to be the vertically integrated monopoly, we are not going to be in the generation business, so we are going to be looking to get rid of our generation assets. Um, the proponents have also brought in information that they believe shows that there would not actually be any stranded assets um, that would need to be paid back to NV Energy. Um, so if they have eight to $10 billion in, in contracts and in generation assets, what NV Energy says and what would likely happen is there would be an analysis of what the real value of those are, um, and then there would have to be a way to pay NV Energy back should a court or should the PUC or should the legislature determine that they need to be paid back for getting rid of those assets. Um, again, they say it's about eight to 10 billion. Um, the proponents have brought in an economic analyst that says they actually would have a stranded benefit um, and there would be a credit onto everybody's bills for those, for, for getting rid of those assets. Um, the PUC in its findings said that there were about $4 billion in assets that they would need to um, be reimbursed for. So um, again, that website has, if anything you guys wanna learn about energy, all those websites will have it for you. 
Um, this is the docket that the PUC did. These are the things, the items that they studied. Um, there were some key findings that the PUC issued, um, including um, a finding that Nevadans currently have um, some of the lowest average electricity rates in the country, um, that the Energy Choice Initiative is reasonably likely to increase the average monthly electric bills of Nevada, at least in the short term, I meaning the first 10 years, um, and that those costs, though, would diminish probably over time as the market got set up. Um, large commercial customers would likely see more immediate benefits from the initiative. Uh, they also identified ambiguous language within the Energy Choice Initiative, which I think is um, I think is a pretty good likelihood that if this passes, there will be a lot of um, a lot of litigation. And so, when we get to the section where I quickly talk about jobs, I think that one of the jobs that you will see uh, have a lot of action would be for folks like me and Jim. Um, lots of litigation uh, could be down the road. Um, let's see what else. Oh, the Energy Choice Initiative, the PUC found, would likely require in excess of $100 million in new startup costs for the new market, and thereafter over $45 million in new annual operation and maintenance costs. Um, that at least 400 union electrical employees would likely lose their jobs. Um, there was, they found that the net metering, rooftop solar laws, and policies would likely be negatively affected by the Energy Choice Initiative. Um, and then, this is a complicated piece, but that there is a question as to who would be the provider of last resort, meaning for those people who can't qualify, um, because for these retail suppliers, you're not always going to have the right credit score, you're not going to have whatever, it, it, they don't have to take you. Um, and in all the other states, they have what's called a provider of last resort, and that usually is the incumbent utility. In this case, the Energy has said they're not interested in doing it, so there's a question about who would be uh, the provider of last resort. Okay. Um, so then the other study I told you about was the Gwynn Center. Uh, they are a nonprofit bipartisan research and policy anal analysis center. Um, and what they took a look at primarily was, again, rate behaviors, which is really will this make rates go up? Will it make rates go down? And, the, and what the Gwynn Center found is that it's unknown whether rates will go up or rates will go down but that they had seen in states where they had done this in the past um, that there was a varying result. A lot of the studies um, looked at states doing an initial rate freeze or rate cap, um, and then when those rate caps got lifted, the, um, there was a lot more variability and customers and consumers did have sticker shock. Um, so that is one of the concerns that the Gwynn Center identified in terms of, of what might happen with rates. Um, they also took a look at, um, oh, and when they looked at those rate caps and those rate freezes, what they found was that a lot of the studies to look to the long term to see whether or not cap um, rates continue to go up, the studies stopped after the rate caps were lifted, so they couldn't really find a good um, set of data to be able to um, do that analysis. The other thing that they really looked at, oh, um, and what it's really tied to in terms of rates is going to be the price of natural gas. That is what the bulk of our energy is in Nevada. It's about 76% natural gas. And, and that is currently one of the cheaper forms of energy. Solar is now down um, below natural gas in some places. Wind is, is very, very competitive. But natural gas is really that bridge. Uh, like Texas did this summer, you will see prices rise. Um, 
and so it's just really that's why they couldn't determine what will happen with this uh, with this initiative. The other question was renewable energy. So on the one side, the proponents say question three will absolutely lead to more jobs, more renewables, and lower costs. On the other side, the opponents say it's risky and it's costly. So we talked about the costs. Um, they've also said that it would hurt rooftop solar and it would hurt uh, utility-scale solar. Neither, what we found in my um, working group for the committee was that it's not tied at all. There is no guarantee if we have an open retail market that there will be an influx of renewables. There is no guarantee if we have an open retail market there will be an influx of jobs. There is no guarantee if we have an open market that there will be um, any type of investment. It, it's, it's not necessarily tied to that. It's also not necessarily that. I'm having to kind of rush through this. And um, one of the things that we get under a vertically integrated structure is that we get resource adequacy, we get, reli we get reliability, because the PUC oversees NV Energy and says, you will make sure that lights come on all the time. You will make sure that the grid is reliable. You will make sure that all of this is fixed. That structure will not exist in the same way with an open retail market. It's not, I'm not saying that it can't function in the same way and that we won't have a reliable grid. I'm just saying that that is something that is going to have to be built into the market and that it is, a, that is an issue. Again, pointing to Texas this summer, they did not have sufficient resources. They had resource inadequacy, resource scarcity. So what they ended up doing was putting in scarcity pricing or they came close to putting in scarcity pricing which is one way to ensure that they can go out into the spot market, it's called, and bring energy back in. And those, um, that scarcity pricing point is $900 a kilowatt hour. So on my highest use day in July, which was like 25 kilowatts, I would have ended up paying under scarcity pricing $225 for that day for my energy use. So again, whether or not that's the structure that we put in place, it is something to look to other markets, especially markets that are being touted as the markets we should emulate and, and figure out whether or not that would work for Nevada. Um, let's see. And then I'll talk a little bit more about renewable energy and energy efficiency and some of our public policy programs. Um, okay. Um, so for jobs, um, and I know we're not, oh, uh, let me just also point out really quickly, one of the things that NV Energy is required to do under its uh, vertically integrated monopoly structure is to do integrated resource planning. So what it does is it does a look ahead for our energy at 20 years out. It says this is what our forecasted load is. What they did this year for their IRP, their integrated resource planning, was they put into place a plan that would build out six um, renewable energy projects across the state for more than a gigawatt of, of renewable energy, solar, battery storage. Um, it would create um, about 1,200 jobs, power 600,000 homes. Those are contracts that they have in place right now. Uh, those contracts would not stay in place uh, if the initiative passed again in 18. Um, However, the yes folks, the proponents, had put out a report in 2016 that uh, proffered information saying that passage of question three would lead to 63% growth of clean energy sector jobs during the first 10 years. Now that was done during the rooftop solar crisis when all those jobs had left the state. Um, I don't know what that number would look like if they went back in and took a look at it now that Assembly Bill 405 has passed and a lot of those jobs are coming back, right? It's all up? Yep. So, 
Um, it's, you know, it's a little, that, that report is a little bit dated, but they, and they also rely on a lot of assumptions related to in-state development, which again, is not something that can be guaranteed because it could result in, in commerce, church, commerce clause challenges. And in fact, there is one large entity called the Retail Energy Supply Association. They came and they talked to us at the Energy Choice Committee, they talked to the PUC, and what they said was, are, we're ready to deploy our resources from Texas, from Illinois, from other places. Um, some of those companies, some of the companies that we represent may bring jobs to the state. But again, there's no guarantee, whereas with this IRP, um, these are all in-state jobs, and if the PUC approves it, and question three does not pass, these are contracts that will go forward. Um, let's see, okay, rooftop solar. Uh, this is not a requirement in most retail states. It's available, but it's an option of those suppliers. So those folks that come in and say, hey, buy energy from us, you can buy the cheapest, you can buy the greenest, you can buy it at you know cheapest during the weekends, however you wanna do it. But it's a supplier option. And Texas, again, the hallmark um, model that we've been told that we're supposed to look at, only started offering net metering last year. Um, so we don't know what will happen if the initiative passes, we don't know what it's going to look like. And there's no guarantee that if it is a supplier option that those suppliers have to pay you back if you have rooftop now at the rate that you're getting paid back for your, for your energy that you put on the grid. The reason you get the rate that you get is again because of that compact between the legislature and the PUC and the utility. The legislature said, hey, guess what guys? We want you to set these rates at you know this frame, this percentage of retail, so 90%, 85%, whatever it is. And then the PUC goes and puts those regulations in place and tells the utility when these folks interconnect, you will pay them 90%, 95% of the retail rate for the energy they put on the grid. That system may not exist, um, and it may have to be completely redone. And the suppliers may come in and say, we don't want to do that. We're going to eat that cost. We only want to pay wholesale. Doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but that is a concern, and it's something to think about. Um, and then uh, clean tech and innovation, all of these, um, uh, the, the electric vehicle in incentives that we have, the battery storage incentives that we have, all of these things are, are basically agreements, again, put into place by the legislature onto NV Energy and then through the PUC for regulation. And, and there is a question as to what will happen to those if we have this open market and we don't have that vertically integrated monopoly any longer. Um, same thing with, um, I don't have energy efficiency up there. We talked about the resource plan, we talked about the about gigawatts. So for the economic impacts, a couple things to talk about. Um, potential benefits. One of the things we cannot do here in Nevada because of this structure is what's called community choice aggregation. So in California, where this is very popular, California partially deregulated and then the Western energy crisis happened and so they have some other systems in place that are kind of a, a hybrid. One of them are these community choice aggregators. So city of Las Vegas could act like a sophisticated buyer and say, hey, we want to buy for all of our people in the city, all of our residents. Oh my God, it's 129, Jim's giving me the hook. Um, and that can't be done under the current structure. That would be something that would be possible with, with energy choice. Um, we talked a little bit about jobs. Franchise taxes, just so you know, that is something that would have to be put on those, on those suppliers. They're currently paid through the utility. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily be paid through the suppliers. Um, if, and if we had franchise taxes put on suppliers, then we'd have to add an agency cost to make sure that everything's getting collected. 
Um, we would potentially have to have um, additional uh, PUC staff and additional agency to oversee renewable energy contracts. And then when you look at the PUC report, when you look at Gwynn Center, there were a couple of states that have, have taken a look, a hard look at this and said, our consumers are being hurt. Those are Massachusetts, Illinois, New York, and they're starting to either consider uh, rolling back their open retail market or, um, or throttling it down to the suppliers. So um, that really kind of covers most of what I was gonna talk about. Um, the range of costs per month, uh, there's a lot of information in the PUC report again. Um, we talked about some of the ratepayer issues, and this really is, to me, the, one of the biggest pieces that people need to think about is how do we make sure if this passes, or do we want to risk having something pass where we don't have the PUC have that oversight? Um, there's my conclusion, and I will, if Jim wants to let me ask, answer any questions, I'm happy to, or I'm happy to stay. So thanks so much, you guys, for indulging me and for letting me try to get through this in uh, 20 minutes. I just uh, thank you. So, super complex, and uh, if you could just come back for one second. We um, have an uh, award we give to all of our speakers. It's a Share What You Can Award. So we will give a meal to a needy veteran in your name oh, as, as a thank you for, th for showing up today. We really appreciate it. A great topic. And she'll be around uh, for questions. I'm, I'm sure there are questions, so uh, Jen will be happy. Um, so as we leave here today, let us uh, remember we go forward, in, go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all persons. Love and serve each other, rejoicing in the fellowship of Rotary. Be people of action. Be people of inspiration. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of our latest meeting. If you'd like to know more about our projects or are interested in membership in the club, please visit us at lasvegasrotary.com. Now go forth and be the inspiration.